0: Hey y'all, it's me again, Bonnie Violet. I just wanted to take a second and thank my Patreon members. Patreon members are folks who contribute on a monthly basis anywhere from $3 to $150 a month to support the work of a queer chaplain. Big shout out to Victoria Thompson, Jason Brandt, Brandon Stanton, Kim Silva, Brandy McCarg, Randy Sandknot, Bob Kaiser, Joey Huckmeister, Violet Rhiannon, Gabriel, Jonathan, and Patrick, and Todd Atkins-Whitley. Thank you so much for your continued contributions. And if you're interested in joining the Patreon, just check the link in the description. Go to patreon.com forward slash Bonnie Violet. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
1: Hey, lacers! How's it going? Bonnie Violet here, um, a queer chaplain, and you are. We are at day fourteen of uh, our lacing your narrative with a spiritual thread live stream workshop series. Um, this week, we are focusing on when did you feel most connected to your spirit, or when did you feel most connected to God? You know those sorts of things. Um, uh, if you are new or aren't completely aware and you're curious to know more about this, do check the links in the description. Otherwise, I'm just going to go forward. So um, when do you feel most connected to your spirit? Um, yesterday, I shared a story of kind of joy and bonding um, when I was married um, and my wedding date and how that connected, that spiritual kind of bonding and connection took place. And today, i are going to share something that's a little bit more um it's a different type of connection or a different time of connection a more um, difficult time, if you will. Um, so I, um, so let's see. Um, so where did we get? So there was, so a few years back, um, about seven years ago, um, I got a call from my family and my, my nephew had um, not like woke up, I guess he um, was he had stopped breathing in the night. he had been rushed to a hospital um, in Toronto, in Twin, I believe, and then he was um, life flighted to Boise. Uh, I was living in Chicago at the time, and I was told that things were very, very serious, and I needed to hop on a plane as fast as I, like as quick as I could to get to um, to Boise. Um, at that time I was just new, I was pretty new to Chicago. I was just getting settled in and, um, I, um, I didn't know how I was going to get there. Um, but I knew I needed to get there really quick. And fortunately for me, I had a boss at the time that actually she bought me a ticket, um, to get to, um, to Boise. And I got to Boise within eight hours, um, which I think is, is, is in its own kind of like this, um, might be something I can talk about a little bit more, but like I really felt like in this particular situation, actually, to be honest with you, I felt like everything and a lot of things in my life had lined up in a way in which I could really respond and show up in a way that I don't think I could have like maybe even a year before that, or um, I had been three years sober. I was in a really good place, like spiritually and mentally um, just in a really like, Almost like a high space with my spirituality and my connection, and was just in a really good place of recovery. And I got this call to go to Idaho um, to be with my nephew. And I remember getting to the hospital and getting into the ICU and getting to see my little nephew, who I hadn't seen for about three months. I had um, met him right after he was born. He was my first nephew, actually, that I held as a baby. Um, I had had a couple before then, but I was nervous about holding babies. For whatever reason, I was able to go and meet Wyatt ahead of time, and I held him and, and bonded with him and connected with him right after he was born. Um, when I saw him again, he was in um, ICU, and he had all these wires, and he had all these things that were happening to him, and he'd had to have dialysis, and he had been without oxygen for a really long time, My mother had given him mouth-to-mouth um, like CPR, and There was so much that's happening and they didn't know if there was brain damage and they didn't know they just didn't know what was going on with this little guy and if he did come out of it like what kind of condition he'd be in and i remember just getting there and feeling um completely powerless over my nephew and completely like i didn't know what the best result was in that moment and i I just, for whatever reason, I think some people talk about this, like, I don't know, I just felt like, you know what, Um, like, I don't know, I was just kind of this idea of like, okay, I'm not in control now. I don't have the power to, like, have anything to do with this little boy and whether he survives or how he survives or the condition that he's going to be in. But um, I I knew that what, what I wanted to do, basically, I said, okay, God, like, this is on you and like, just help me show up for my family. And so I was able to like show up for my little brother um, as his oldest, you know, his oldest brother, I was able to show up for my, my nephew. Um, I was able to show up for my parents and just kind of the family in general. Um, And it was really interesting because usually I would get very like caught up in self Like I would be too scared or I'd be nervous or I'd be worried about what other people were thinking or just a lot of different things. And those things all just kind of slipped away. And I just kind of like showed up in the best way that I could, um, for my family. And, um, eventually, um, my, my nephew was able to get to a space in which we could do an MRI cat scan. And we, um, learned that he was, um, he was brain dead that he didn't have, um, that he had been without oxygen on his brain for too long, and so we had um, decided. His family, his my brother and his wife, had decided that they needed to um, let him go and take him off of the machines. And uh, um, I was in the room when they talked with my little brother about that, and they um, offered. Um, I don't know when, when babies die in that particular situation, um, or yeah. Um, they um, asked if anyone would like to hold the baby. And my brother and my uh, brother's wife wasn't really, they weren't really there yet. You know, I don't know, I just said, well, I'll do it if like, if you you want me to, like I'll do it, I'll be willing to do it, Um, which is something that was not of me. Like, of course I'd wanna do that for my brother, and of course I'd wanna do that for my nephew, but like in my way of thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, can you do this? but I didn't even hesitate and I just said I would do it. Um, and when it came time, we um, we were um, in the room. It was me and my brother and my dad and Wyatt, my nephew. Um, my brother's wife, Melinda, Wyatt's mother had um, chosen to not be there. She didn't feel like she could be there for that. and. Um, So she had left the hospital and my my mother was with her, I believe, or it was was me and my dad and my brother in the room. And um, I was sitting in a chair and my dad was on, I think he was on the right side behind me and my brother was on the other side behind me. And um, they um, took Wyatt off, they took Wyatt out of the ICU bed and off the machine or gave him to me. And then we took him off the machines and uh, I, um, I held him until he took his last breath. And uh, it was, I hope this isn't too much for people, but um, I held him and he started to turn like almost a black, purple, blue color. And then he just did a little kick on my arm and he stopped breathing. His, his little heart though, wouldn't stop beating. His heart kept beating. And, um, his mother had decided that she wanted to be there. She had changed her mind and she had happened to show up in the room and, uh, he had stopped breathing, but his heart was still beating. And, uh, I was able to hand him over to her and, uh, he ended up with his heart stopping in her, in her arms. And, um, I remember leaving the room then, at that time, so my brother and his wife could tend to white. And uh, I remember going to the ICU, you just get so used to um, washing up anytime you go anywhere. And I got to the the sink to wash up to leave, and I started to wash up, and then I was like, I didn't want, like, I didn't want to wash, I didn't want to wash them off of me, like, I didn't want to wash. I felt his energy in me, to be honest with you. Like, I felt his energy in my arms. I felt connected, like, to... There was just some sort of, like, spiritual connection to him. And um, I didn't want to let it go. I remember I I left... I walked out of the... From the cleaning area, and I went out in the hallway. And uh, I just, like, embraced my arms like this and just held him. And I. that's when I finally just kind of, like lost it and, and cried um, a, li- a lot. Um, I, felt, I felt him and I still feel him in my arms whenever I wanna connect with him. I actually got a tattoo, if I can catch it in here, on my arm after he passed away. Cause that's a lot of what we do when people die in our family. And uh, it says, be still and know. And be still and know is like, um, it's in the Bible actually. Um, it's be still and know that I'm God or something like that, but I stopped at the be still and know, and I felt like that was a practice that I really had to, um, or that I got to to put into play, you know, when I got there at the ICU bed, it was basically just like, I know that I, you know, I just knew that I didn't know what to do in that situation and just to be still and just to, to show up in whatever way I needed to do. Um, and that, and then it led to you know my nephew, you know, um, my brother was in a new a new marriage, and they were Mormon, and my family were not mormon um, and so there was kind of this um you know, families had different ways of mourning and different ways of of kind of handling death, and so I found myself in the middle of um of the two families um, as kind of the, just kind of the in between that I would do whatever needed to do. Um, I don't I don't know, I just found myself kind of in the middle and, and in between and it felt very natural and very okay. And a part of me was really shocked because I'd, I'd felt like I was like an outsider. Like I, because like I was queer, because like all these sorts of things, because I lived a way that somehow I was like not I don't know, um, seen in that light by my family and stuff, which was just like whatever. But um it was awesome to kind of find myself in that tween to kind of help. And it was beautiful to also see one family have this way and another family have this way and see some of the similarities. And then also being able to kind of bridge the two to where, you know, my family ended up going to some of the more Mormon activities and the Mormon side of the family went to some more of the, like my family, you know, my family will, you know, we throw a party and we remember and we talk about and we celebrate the person's life. Um, It's a little bit different than like um, a service in like a temple or to the side of the temple. Um, But another way that I felt really surprised in how I was able to show up. And I felt like this is because I was really connected to, um, to God and my purpose and, I don't know, I just felt like I really, I don't know, I could have just kind of show up. And uh, my nephew, um, in Mormon tradition, they do viewings where you hold um, babies. Um, And like, if um, people are coming to the viewing, then they hold the baby as well. Um, This was something that was new to me. I'd never experienced anything like that. And actually, I don't know that I'd ever really been, I recall being to like a funeral of a, of a baby either, but, um, uh, they needed somebody to hold him, um, through that process. And so I was able to hold him and take care of him, um, in a very special like way. Uh, the sound system ended up like not working at the funeral service there. And so like, I actually started singing the song because the the music wouldn't work and it was just like this little light of mine, but, uh, I really feel like because I was, like, connected to, like, because I had been sober a while, because I had been in recovery, because I had a connection with God, because I was kind of able to let it go once I got there. I was able to connect with Wyatt's spirit. I was able to connect with so much. It was just such a, like, if I were to label the experience, I would call it um, beautiful and tragic, um, it was such a gift to get to be there for, for Wyatt and to take care of him and to, to be there for my brother and his family and my parents. And um, it actually is what really caused me to to really push the idea of being a queer chaplain, you know, of being around people around death and dying um, to self. And particularly, I think with queer people is kind of where I'm landing now, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm, I don't know, it kind of changed a little bit at some point in time. Um, but uh, that's one of the, I guess, more, you know, sometimes people refer to God, G O D, as a gift of desperation. And I don't think I was desperate for um, some sort of thing outside of myself. Um, I just felt that that was real um, and that there, there was more going on. Um, like, it wasn't just that I was hoping there was. It was actually that I felt connected to all of that um, in a way that I, I don't recall I ever felt before. And I don't know if I've felt it again, um, but um, it definitely changed me. It's it's changed me. That little guy, his name was Wyatt Hades, which is light in the darkness. And uh, he definitely w- has been a big light in my darkness um, but i think in a lot of our lives and our families as well but and obviously that's just like my reflection of my experience with it Uh, there's so much more to it than that but um it was a time that i felt really um out of myself radically present though um and available in a way that um i didn't ever think was possible and I do believe that, like, I was able to do that because of some sort of spiritual connection, um, especially for the duration and the impact of the, the whole time. So, anywho, I guess that's my share for today of when I um, felt most connected to spirit um, or God or whatever it is. Um, and so... Um, I'm hoping that, I don't know, uh, good luck on your exploration of recalling when you felt connected. And um, I will see you all tomorrow if you are interested. We are, I am getting ready to do the um, Splintered Grace podcast um, at 1030 here in just about an hour or so. Um, We are actually talking about passion and purpose. Um, And yeah. I'm gonna go and let you go, I'm gonna put some lips on. Sorry, I didn't have any lips on for you this morning or any eyebrows yet, but uh, uh, she's in mid-transition. So take care and um, I'll play that outro and you have a great day, bye.
0: hey y'all bonnie violet here again just wanted to take a second to let you know about splintered grace podcast splintered grace podcast just completed its fifth season entitled still seeking splintered grace is a podcast that i co-host with my aunt who is a conservative christian and one of my biggest supporters in my trans identity and just life in general While many family members are choosing to no longer speak, we have chosen to sit at the table and engage in difficult conversations to find peace and restoration. Over our 24 year relationship, we have had a lot of ups and downs and we haven't always really liked each other. We definitely never understood each other and still some of it we don't, but we love one another so much and so hard and really work hard to show up for one another. And our hope is that by listening to this podcast, others may be able to begin to have peace and restoration in some of their other relationships with family members and or other loved ones. Uh, check it out, Splintered Grace Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts or on YouTube. Take care. Love ya. Bye.